It's good to be here. Thank you so much. And thank you, Ian. We had a major crash of a computer this morning, and uh, I thought you multitasked very well, so appreciate that very much. And then all the confusion, I didn't get hooked up, so I'm late doing that, so. so it's good to be here. It's good to see each of you. Pardon a little bit of confusion, and we may have to read off the edge of the, of the screen just a little bit this morning, but thank you. Thank you for being here. If you're visiting with us, we certainly want to welcome you. I want to talk about the doctrine of baptism because there is an unbelievable amount of confusion and disagreement in the world today about this doctrine of baptism. Are we saved before we're baptized? Are we saved after we're baptized? Are we sprinkled? Are we poured? Are we christened? Are we immersed? All these different questions. Infant baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit, all these different questions we have to ask ourselves this morning. So I'd like for us to, to consider those things, but I want to consider them in the context of what we're studying this week, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does the gospel say? What does the word of God tell us about this good news of Jesus Christ? What does it tell us? The gospel is what saves us. Is, is baptism a part of that gospel? Romans 1 verse 16, familiar passage, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This gospel of Jesus Christ is what saves us. It is God's power to save men from their sins, to save us all from our sins, to everyone who believes. That's what John talked about last week, this, this soul-saving belief. What does that amount to? Two weeks ago, Ian talked about the Great Commission, Mark 16 and 15. He said to them, telling his disciples, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. This saving gospel is what I want us to talk about today. And let's see if baptism is a part of that. And this gospel has been prophesied of, promised for over 6,000 years. Since the Garden of Eden, this gospel of Jesus Christ, God first prophesied of it in Genesis, the third chapter, after Satan had beguiled Eve, he said, Genesis 3 and verse 15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his head. That is a reference to Jesus Christ. 6,000 years ago, it was a prophecy of Christ. Then a couple thousand years later, we have Abraham. And once again, God called him out. And here in Galatians 3 and 8, Paul makes reference to him calling out Abraham and saying, get up and go. And I'll tell you where, and if you do this, I will bless you. And I will bless everyone who blesses you, and I will curse everyone who doesn't? And I will make your name great. And in your seed, all nations should be blessed. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 3 and 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Foreseeing, that's prophesying that God would justify, forgive the Gentiles by faith. Preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you, all nations shall be blessed. The gospel of saving gospel of Jesus Christ is the only point to be made. 
in the Old Testament. The Old Testament makes absolutely no sense. It's complete and utter gibberish unless we apply it to Christ. Then it fits perfectly. Over and over again, we see these prophecies increasing more and more and more the closer we get to the New Testament. It was prophesied of, foreshadowed, and typified in the Old Testament. Then we get to the New Testament. It was outlined. It was documented. It was factually recorded for us in the New Testament. The only point to be made in the New Testament. From one end of the Bible to the other, we have this saving gospel foreshadowed, prophesied of, and actually detailed for us. From one end of it to the other. But what is it? What is this gospel that saves? And is, is baptism part of that? What is it? But I have a disclaimer. I have a disclaimer. Because we all have people that we know and love so dearly. And my job today is not to offend people. My job today is not to alienate people or belittle people. I'm not very good at this. Some of you know that for, for a fact. I'm not very good at it. But today, I will try my best to be gracious in my speech. Colossians. 4 and verse 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. That's the flavor of Christ, Christianity, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. First Thessalonians 5, 14, for we exhort you, brethren, warn them they're unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. My job today is to be gracious in my speech, not to alienate, not to condemn, but to warn, comfort, support, and be patient. Old time evangelist said, I'm here to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Hopefully I do a little bit less of the afflict the comfortable and hopefully some more on uh, comfort the afflicted. But what is this? What is this saving gospel? I'm not interested in what, in what I think. We should be interested in what the Bible says. And today I'm not going to question your salvation. Today, I'm not going to question your baptism. I'm not going to do that. That's between you and God. But I plead with you to question your own. It's the most important decision that you will ever make. Is baptism part of that? Question your own. I hope everyone here today will do that. So what is this gospel? This saving gospel? Does it include baptism or not? 1 Corinthians 15, the passage that Riley read this morning. Thank you so much for that. Appreciate all your efforts. A few verses from there. 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. This is it. Paul is telling us what the gospel is. I preached, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand by which you're saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Hmm. This is the gospel that he preached, which they received. Now that's believing in which you stand. Now that's to make a stand. That's to stand fast. He says hold fast in verse 2. That seems to me that it's a little bit more than a dormant, quiet faith. To stand fast, to make a stand, to hold fast. So is it more than that or not? See what the Bible says. For I deliver to you, first of all, here's the gospel. Here's the three points of the gospel. Number one, for I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. The number one keystone of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the only begotten Son of God 
suffered, came to earth as a man, then suffered and bled and died for the sins of mankind. And number two, verse four, that he was buried. And number three, that he arose again the third day according to the scriptures. On down in verse 11, he tells us, therefore, whether it was I or theirs, so we preached and so you believed. This is the gospel, brothers and sisters. This is it. Now, these are the basic tenets of it. Certainly, there's a lot more to it, but this is it in a nutshell. He tells them, this is the gospel that I preach. This is the gospel we preach, whether it's me or them. This is what we're preaching. And this you received. This you believed. This he's sending this letter to the church at Corinth. They were standing in it. They were holding fast in it. That's being referred to as believing in it. So we're actually, what we're asking, I think I went the wrong way. What we're asking then is what must I do? Is there anything to do? What must I do to be saved? This is saving gospel. Then what do I do? Is there anything to do? Stand fast, hold fast, makes us think that there might be something to do. There might be some effort involved. If you talk to a Christian who believes in the Calvinist line of work, there's nothing we can do. Line of belief, line of doctrine by John Calvin, there's nothing we can do. The Calvinists believe that before you were born, long before you were born, you were predestined to destruction or to spend eternity in heaven. And there's nothing you can do to affect that soul salvation one way or the other. And they're Christians. They're sincere, many times sincere, good, honest people. There's the universalist Christian who believe in universal reconciliation to God, that only a small minority of all the people who ever lived on earth are evil enough to be condemned to hell for eternity. Most of us will be reconciled to God. Universal reconciliation. There's the existentialist or the humanist who believe that when it's over here, when we die, that that's it. That that's the end of it. That our influence will only go past our death if we establish some relationship and, and increase our purpose and meaning through those relationships, through what we accomplish. Materialist, very similar. That we have roughly the same cosmic uh, value as a slug. The same cosmic value man has with a worm. And when it's over, it's over. But we can extend our influence past our death through our money, through possessions, and through power. And many, many Christians in the denominational world believe that, believe that all we have to do is believe. They believe the scripture is very clear that all you have to do is believe. So what does the Bible tell us? What does it tell us? We know we have to believe. John talked about that last week. Belief is the basic tenet of all of our salvation. We have to believe. We just read that, Romans 1 and verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. We know we must believe. That is number one. But it, does it end there? Does it start there or does it end there? Second Thessalonians 1 tells us that there is something that we have to have to do. First and foremost, we have to obey this gospel. <clears throat> Second Thessalonians 1, verse 7 and 8, the Bible says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not 
the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Vengeance, taking vengeance on them that did not obey the gospel. 1 Peter 4, verse 17, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? We have to obey. We have to believe. Absolutely we do. We also have to obey. What are we saved by? So we're, we're building a list here, aren't we? The gospel saves us, but it only saves us if we believe it. It only saves us if we obey it. But how do you obey? We just said the gospel is a death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do you obey that? How do you become obedient to that? We're also saved by hearing. We'll get, we'll get to that in just a minute. We're saved by hearing. Romans 10 and verse 13. The Bible says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall we call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of of peace, who bring good tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We have to hear, don't we? We're saved by hearing that gospel. Then we're saved by believing it and then obeying it. We understand that. We refer to some of these as the first principles, and we all understand that we could never merit salvation. In a thousand lifetimes, we could never hear enough. We could never believe. We, our faith could never be strong enough. Only one faith was strong enough to save us, and that's the faith of Christ. We have to obey. But this grace, Ephesians 2 and verse 8, for by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. What an amazing blessing, the gift of God that we could never merit, we could never deserve, we could never be worthy of. But he gives this to anyone. He gives it to us anyway. But he, so far it looks like he's commanding that we hear the gospel, that we believe that gospel and we become obedient to that gospel so his grace will cover us. What else? We're saved by hope. Romans 8, 24, we're saved in this hope. We're saved by the blood of Christ. That's 1 John 1 and verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We're saved by confession. Romans 10 and 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We're saved by calling on the Lord. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We're saved by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 and 9, but if you are not, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And we're saved by baptism. First Peter 3 and verse 20, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're saved by a number of things, aren't we, brothers and sisters? And this is not an exhaustive list. But we can't do without any of them. We're totally dependent upon the grace of God. We're totally dependent on the blood of Christ. We're totally dependent on each one of these, but they're not mutually exclusive. 
And the thing is, we don't get to choose one and disregard everything else on the list. We don't get to do that, do we? The Bible tells us that each one of these is necessary. And God even set his word up so that we would have to look here and look there. Isaiah 28 and verse 10, he talks about his word. He said, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to his people to whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they, they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was unto them. Precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line and line upon line, here a little and there a little. Notice, brothers and sisters, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and caught. Ouch. We don't get to take one passage of Scripture and disregard everything else that's written. We have to look. We have to search. But the question remains, how do we become obedient to death, death burial, and resurrection? How do we do that? Is, that? is that a vague? Is that a psychological thing? Is that a spiritual thing that has no physical application? How do we stand firm in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? How, how do we do that? These passages we've looked at. How do we do that? Romans 6, the Apostle Paul tells us exactly how we become obedient to the gospel. He tells us exactly in no uncertain terms. Romans 6 and verse 3, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together, that's King James, united together here in the new King James, if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, in that burial, in that resurrection, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. That's how we obey that gospel. That's how we do that. And it also tells us that baptism is a burial. It's a resurrection. We're buried with him, verse 4 with baptism unto death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Then we have the obedient part that continues for the rest of our life. Then we have the service to God that continues throughout the rest of our lives, walking with Christ in, in the light. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. When we come to Christ, we put to death that old man of sin. We repent of that, and we turn away from that, and we join Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Verse 7, for he has died, who he who has died has been freed from sin. A person who's dead and in the grave cannot sin anymore. We put to death that old man of sin, and we're buried with Christ in baptism. Verse 8, now if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no longer has dominion over him. Old man is put to death so that we can arise to live with Christ. Then on down to verse 17, just a few verses later, he tells us, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been made free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. We obey 
that doctrine in baptism, brothers and sisters. And obey, what is that? To obey means to heed a command. This church at Rome that he's writing this letter to, they had obeyed the command from the heart in sincerity, that form of doctrine. What is form? That form is a die struck. It's a shape or resemblance, specifically a model for imitation or instance of warning. It's a figure, it's a form, it's a manner, it's a print. The command they received and they obeyed sincerely that pattern of the, darkness, of the doctrine to which you were delivered. There's a pattern there. Isn't there? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That form, that pattern, that model, if you will. They heeded that commandment and became obedient to that commandment. Here's the command. Peter said to them, Acts 2 and 38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm quoting from the King James, so pardon a little of this. This is New King James. Verse 39, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Verse 47 says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This is the commandment. We have another commandment. John 3, John talking to Nicodemus. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Prevailing wisdom sometimes wants us to believe that born of water is a reference to birth of a woman. And certainly that's true. I don't know of a person who's ever been born on this planet of a woman who, didn't, who wasn't born of water. So how could that be a condition of our salvation? How could that possibly be a condition of our salvation? Jesus said, unless we're born of the water and the spirit. And what's he talking about here, brothers and sisters? He's talking about a new birth. He's talking about being born again of water and of spirit. Unless we're, that's the command that we have, brother. This is a condition of our salvation. And certainly we're born of women in water, but that's not a condition of our salvation. It wouldn't even apply. We all meet that qualification. So we're saved by hearing, belief, obedience, grace, calling on the Lord. We're saved by hope. We're saved by the blood of Christ. We're saved by the Holy Spirit. We get to add repent. Acts 2 and 38, he told them repent and be baptized. So we've added that. We're still saved. And we, by baptism, and we don't get to leave any of them out. So how about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Can that pattern fit? Can we be obedient to that pattern in a dry baptism? Sometimes referred to as a dry baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptized into Christ. No, you're not so many of us as we're baptized into Christ. Back to our reading, Romans 6 and 3. If we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his death. Buried with him through baptism into death. And raised 
with Christ from the dead by the glory of the Father, walking in newness of life, planted together, being united together in his likeness. That is the pattern, brothers and sisters. That's the form. How would that apply to a dry baptism? How would that be to someone who hasn't been immersed? How would that be applicable to anyone who has not been baptized in the, in the watery grave of baptism? Only Christ baptized with the Holy Spirit. Christ is the only person alive, living, who ever baptized with the Holy Spirit. And John tells us emphatically that here in John 1 and verse 31. John speaking said, I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining on him. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Christ baptized with the Holy Spirit. His disciples didn't. His disciples baptized with water. John 4 and verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, Christ baptized with the Holy Spirit. His disciples, his apostles, baptized with water. And it was much water. What kind of baptism was it? John 3 and verse 23, John also was baptizing in Anon near Selene because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. Acts 8 and 38, we have the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And the Bible says, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered him and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Then they both came up out of the water. That's not done by pouring, brothers and sisters. That's not done by sprinkling. There's no confessing the name of Christ. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Can't be done by an infant. This is immersion. Baptism is immersion. It's being dipped Galatians 3 and verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. This is the faith that we're talking about. This is the faith that John spoke on last week. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Baptism is a believer their acknowledgement, their reenactment, and obedient submission to the command to be born again. According to the pattern taught in the gospel of Jesus Christ and his death, his burial, and his resurrection, the greatest single event that's ever occurred in the history of mankind, and we get to share in that. It's not a work, it's a privilege. It's submission, humble submission to this most amazing event in the history of mankind. This is the pattern, brothers and sisters, being obedient to the patterns, Romans 6 and verse 17, being baptized into Christ is being baptized into his death. When we become obedient to that pattern and we come to the cross, our old man is dead. 
we crucify him. We put him to death. He's left behind us. Verse 4, from that point on, we're no longer slaves of sin. From that time on, we're the servants of Jesus Christ. We're baptized into Christ. Galatians 3 and Romans 6 both talk about being baptized into Christ. There was much water. That was not a sprinkling or a pouring. And that was a burial, a planting. United with Christ, verses 4 and 5 for remission of sins, for salvation, in order to receive the Holy Spirit. And we're resurrected from there to walk with Christ in newness of Christ. This is the pattern, brothers and sisters, in verse 17. This is what we can be obedient to in baptism. The gospel of Jesus Christ requires that every believer repent and be baptized into Christ, thereby crucifying Uh, crucifying that old man and being buried with Christ, then we are resurrected from that grave as Christ was to walk with him in faith and obedience with our past forgiven and our future secured. Galatians 2 and verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. Young people can quote this better than I can. They know the song. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's the Holy Spirit. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What does he say? I've been crucified with Christ based on what we've just talked about. What the Bible has said, that's in baptism, is it not? So examples, we don't have the time. I want to talk about one. I only want to talk about one. And there are many. And there are many. I want to talk about Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul. There's three accounts in Acts 9 in Acts 22 and then in Acts 26. We're going to read a few verses in Acts 9 and Acts 22. He was headed to Damascus to persecute Christians. Acts 9 and verse 3, the Bible tells us as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Verse 6, so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Verse 9 tells us there he was three days and three nights without sight, and he fasted. He didn't have anything to eat or drink, and verse 11 tells us he was praying during that time. I want to ask you right here and now, brothers and sisters, was he saved? Did he have his sins forgiven. He fasted and prayed, didn't have anything to eat or drink for three days. Was he saved? He was certainly interested in what they were saying. He was certainly penitent. He was certainly ready to hear. He was ready to be a disciple. Did that save him? When he's talking, when he's giving his account in Acts 22, here's what he said. Then a certain Ananias A devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up to him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. He still wasn't in the saved. He was, he was a believer. He was ready. And if we go through the gospel, we know 
You can't hardly read those too well, but we have up here commandments to hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized for the salvation, for remission of sins. And we know that he heard the word. We know that he believed. We know that he never again persecuted the church. He was a faithful servant of Jesus Christ until his death. And we know that he was baptized and had his sins washed away. These are the first principles, what we refer to, brothers and sisters, as the first principles. And not every conversion did all of these. We don't have a, an account of every conversion doing each one of these. Here, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch heard the word, confessed his name before men, and was baptized. But we have commandments to do each and every one of them. And this is what we teach, brothers and sisters. Nothing is left out. This is what we teach, the doctrine of baptism in the gospel, that you must hear, believe, repent, confess his name before men and be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for the remission of sins, for salvation. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? But that doesn't mean for a minute that we still aren't totally dependent upon the grace of God. We absolutely are. Totally dependent on that blood of Christ doesn't mean that we don't have to have that Holy Spirit, that obedience, that service to God throughout our lifetimes. We're saved by the blessed hope of a Redeemer and His second coming to bring us back with Him. So that takes us back to where we started this month, the Great Commission that Ian talked about. Mark 16 and 15, and he said to them, Jesus talking to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. If we don't believe, it doesn't matter because it all starts with faith, as John said last week. Matthew 18 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. That's to Obey all the things I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Luke's account, Luke 24 and verse 44, then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Jesus fulfilled all of them in the Old Testament. Verse 45, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise again the third day. That's the gospel, isn't it? And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Colossians 2 and 10, and you are complete in him, in Christ who is the head of all principality and power. In him, you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by crucifying that man, by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, in which also you were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him having forgiven all of your trespasses. Is there ever an opportunity or a situation where we might want to be baptized again? There was a situation in Acts the 19th chapter when the Apostle Paul came upon these people and recognized that they had not been baptized into Christ. They had not been baptized into his death. Acts 19 and verse 3. 
He said to them, Paul speaking to these brethren in Ephesus, he said, unto what then were you baptized? So they said, unto John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Are you doubting this morning? Are you confused this morning? Is there something you want to talk about? We'd love to study with you. We have, we have clothes. We have water. Being baptized, sometimes that's not a baptism that we think is sufficient. That's between you and God. But I, I plead with you to consider your salvation, your baptism here this morning. Being baptized into Christ being baptized into his death. Have we obeyed that form, that model? Obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. That, brothers and sisters, is a quick synopsis of the gospel we, we preach here, the gospel of Jesus Christ and being obedient to that gospel. So when you hear that term, have you obeyed the gospel, we kind of know where that's at. We offer an invitation now. Would you be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you haven't done that, please consider. If you want to study further, we'd love to do that with you. If, on the other hand, you are a child of God and you would like the prayers of the church for any reason, if there's a gospel subject in the audience this morning, please come forward. Let us serve you as we stand and sing.